Hey, what's up, Warriors? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 332. Now, this week we tackle a shooting skill that rarely gets the proper attention and tactics, let alone the training behind it. And yet it's one of the most common challenges you'll face in defensive encounter. I'm talking about defending against the low-light ambush, and I have just the expert trainer to help us with this critical topic. It's all coming right up, and if you want to check out the cheat sheet for today's show, just head on over to www.warriorlifepodcast.com slash 332 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. I know you've most likely heard that most criminal attacks happen in low-light situations. And it makes sense, right? I mean, under the cover of darkness, a criminal has less chance of you spotting them, which gives them a greater chance of a no-warning ambush attack and less chance of being positively identified later on by you or any eyewitnesses. But even knowing this, as a concealed handgun carrier, how often have you really trained for low-light shooting scenarios? Now, don't worry if you've said hardly ever or even never. In fact, even a lot of tactical trainers that I've talked to will laugh and admit that they fall short when it comes to adding this type of training to their live fire and dry fire drill. And then there's a challenge of how to choose a flashlight and use it in a real life attack, right? Well, never fear because in this week's episode, we have a special guest who's gonna help fill in the gear and training gaps when it comes to low light self-protection. Hello everyone, this is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of Warrior Life International with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today to fill in those gaps about low light fighting is Rich Nance. Rich, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Glad to be here. Always good to have you on, man. Um, listen, if Rich's name sounds familiar to you guys, it's because he's been a longtime contributor to our training network. And he's a second degree black belt and police defensive tactics instructor. And he's been a police officer for over 20 years now and currently holds the rank of sergeant with over 10 of those years experience as a SWAT team member and leader. He writes for Guns and Ammo and Handguns Magazine, so I'm sure you've seen him in many of the gun magazines that you've personally seen out there, not to mention some of the annuals that are published by places like Outdoor Sportsman's Group. And you may have even seen him on TV as he served as the host of Personal Defense TV on the Sportsman's Channel. In addition to his other duties, Rich is a weaponless defense tactics instructor, impact weapon instructor, and firearms instructor. Now, for more information about Rich and his training, make sure you visit him online at www.wartac.com. And that's W-A-R-T-A-C.com. All right, Rich, um, I know as a police officer, and especially in your, in your SWAT duties also, I mean, I know a lot of what you do, and I know you work like late nights at uh, on the job. And so I think this was a really great opportunity to kind of tap into your experience, especially from a, you know, a tactical standpoint of being a police officer. These aren't just things that people read about and, and write about, but they've never really actually put these to you. So, so I think, you know, especially being in that environment, let me ask you, I mean, we know that self-defense training in low light is really important, but what are the biggest differences, um, maybe both psychologically and physically even, between self-defense during broad daylight and self-defense in, in low-light conditions? Yeah, Jeff, I think you, you sort of hit on it a little bit, but crime tends to happen 
in hours of darkness for the reasons you mentioned. It's easier to get away with stuff. It's easier to ambush somebody. When you're preparing yourself for uh, self-defense in low-light situations, there is a psychological component as well as a physical. From a psychological standpoint, it's almost, it's analogous to a little kid being afraid of the dark because we take so much information in about our environment through our eyes that when our ability to see is diminished, there's this anxiety, there's this um, nervousness, this fear of the unknown, if you will. Physically, uh, that can actually manifest in that there may actually be a quote monster end quote lurking in the shadows, right? So physically, we're more susceptible to being attacked when someone has, you know, the cover of darkness uh, in their favor. So it's important to understand that we are vulnerable in, in hours of darkness and to understand what it is that you can do to better your odds of prevailing in a low light situation. I mean, really low light um, searching techniques, low light uh, operating in low light conditions with a pistol, it is an art. I mean, there is a lot to it. Um, what we can do in something like this format is to kind of scratch the surface of that. Um, but maybe we should just start by considering what we use light for. Well, clearly it could be an administrative task like your porch lights out and you want to use your cell phone light to illuminate the keyhole, right? That would be the most like low level use of light. But you may also use light to navigate in the dark. You know, if you're in a forested area, let's say you're gonna to wanna to illuminate so that you're not tripping over stumps and whatnot. Um, you can also use light to locate someone to, or to search for someone. What's very important from a shooting standpoint is to make sure you use a low light for threat identification. Uh, to determine is this guy holding a weapon? Is the hand behind his back reaching for a weapon? These types of things. And also finally to control someone with light. And that's one that is often overlooked, but um, a bright light directed in an adversary's eyes uh, coupled with strong verbal commands can do a lot uh, to give you the advantage by kind of getting in this dude's OODA loop you know, interrupting his decision-making cycle. So that's just kind of a foundation of why it's important uh, to be prepared for low light uh, self-defense. You bring up a really interesting point that I don't think I've ever really thought about it like this before, but um, you know, a lot of people that carry tactical lights and we'll talk about kind of the choice of lights here in just a minute, but um, they use in the blind, whether it's with a strobe or whatever it is. I mean, these high power LED lights. Um, it's, it's interesting you bring up about how you can marry that. It's not just about the physical tactics or about your, your firearm, but when you blind somebody and you interrupt their, um, you know, their own thought process, like going from offensive, uh, you know, they've got you in their sights and they're kind of creeping up on you and they're going for that ambush. But if you have your light out and you flash them with that, it's interesting you bring up the how you can use your voice, like you can give commands and it's almost like, it kind of wipes out. I mean, imagining that it kind of wipes out their brain because they're they're kind of like in, literally almost like a deer in headlights, and that you're tell tell me a little bit about that. Like uh, voice commands given when somebody is blinded versus when you're just trying to tell them to back off and they're and you don't have a light. Psychologically, what is? You, have you ever um, looked at what that difference is? Yeah, you know, a lot of my experience with this comes from searching places as a police officer, locating a suspect and giving him verbal commands. And I can tell you, I've seen that deer in the headlight look. I've seen a suspect who's hiding. Uh, and oftentimes, frankly, they're not hiding to ambush me, thankfully, but they're hiding to avoid apprehension. 
Um, but a lot of times it's the same type of thing. I remember locating one dude underneath a boat and, uh, Boom, I, I shine that light in his eyes. And we'll talk a little bit later on. Um, I'll bring it up if you don't ask as, as far as like flashlight shooting techniques and how we want to direct the light into their eyes and the purpose for that. But just for a, a quick uh, a recap of that right now, once you get that light in their eyes and give verbal commands, now you're disrupting their vision and you're overwhelming them. You hit on it very well. You're interrupting their thought process. They have a plan. It may be a hasty plan or it may be a well thought out plan, but when you're overriding their senses by yelling at them, by shining a light, by pointing guns at them, maybe you have a police canine uh, from the uh, law enforcement perspective, uh, it, it really does overwhelm someone and causes them to focus on what you're doing rather than what uh, planning what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about the choice of a flashlight. Most people buy a flashlight and they keep it next to their bed. You know, it's their, it's their home defense bump in the night gun light or whatever. And, and, and they just figured that call, they, you know, they can kind of call themselves prepared. So what features should I be looking for in a tactical light for a low light fighting? I mean, or, or what should I avoid? Like, what are some of the things that um, you're looking at, especially when it comes to, is this something I want to mount on the gun or is it something I want handheld? Um, I know you've, you've used all of those options, but what are kind of a quick run through of just what are some of the key things that we should be looking for? Yeah, real quick, I'll make a distinction between handheld and weapon mounted. I think you should have both. Uh, weapon mounted is nice because then every time you have your pistol, you have access to a light. It also enables you to establish a two-handed grip, right? And just using your hand in a slightly modified uh, position uh, to be able to access the light. Um, but that's a great resource but it's also good to have a handheld light, both for redundancy and also because a handheld light enables you to search without pointing your gun at something. If you use a weapon mounted light, or if you use a hands together flashlight technique, like the popular Harry's method, um, you are by default pointing your gun wherever your light is pointed. So you might not wanna do that, which is a reason to have a, a handheld light. What to look for in a handheld light, I want something bright and I want something simple to operate. Durability is also critical. Um, as a police officer, I've carried um, surefire lights and I've also carried stream lights. And those are very robust, powerful uh, lights. They're gonna last you years. Size matters, right? If we're talking about law enforcement duty use, you're talking about a bigger light and you may also carry a small light. Uh, but when you're talking about for uh, personal defense, uh, for a concealed carry holder, you're probably going to have something that's going to clip onto your pocket. Um, it's amazing to me how much flashlight technology has, has improved over the years. We used to have huge flashlights that, you know, were not very bright at all, very kind of yellowish in their tone. Now we have super bright lights that are will literally fit in your front uh, pocket. It's just, it's amazing how compact they could be now. A couple other things I like. There are some, many flashlights have a lot of bells and whistles. I don't prefer that. For self-defense, I want a light that's as bright as I can make it immediately. I don't want to toggle through other modes. I don't want a hundred lumen version, then a 200 lumen. I want 1000 lumens or whatever the highest is. I want that immediately. And the simple to operate, the better. You can have a secondary light for administrative purposes, or if you have a light, if you offer a light that has a lot of those options, Make sure that at least the first mode when you press that thing is the brightest that you're going to have. I prefer tail cap activation. Uh, some people prefer side cap activation. 
what I really like is something that has a pressure switch activation so that I can very precisely control the duration that I'm illuminating. I don't want something that's simply a hard press on and it clicks on and press off. I want to be able to very, uh, very precisely control uh, that uh, activation. There's different um, uh, thoughts as far as uh, rechargeable uh, batteries or, uh, or just uh, you know, batteries that you can purchase anywhere. Um, some flashlights now actually have options where you can use, you can recharge them or you can uh, supply new batteries. So there's, there's really a lot out there. And a lot of it has to do with personal preference. Uh, from a weapon mounted light, what I want is again, something that's robust. There's a lot of them out now that you don't have to put your hand in front of the muzzle to take it on or off. Um, but what's important to me is being able to really um, reach that activation switch without a lot of fussing and fumbling with your shooting grip. Um, the activation switch that I really like is Streamlight, their TLR1, which uh, I've used that for 15 years as a police officer, it's really handy. There's other ones from Surefire and um, Viridian has a lot of them. Uh, there's also the, uh, the um, laser aspect too, that you can have a laser to help you aim uh, on your weapon mount of light. A lot of weapon mount of lights are combos with the laser. And again, you need both. Uh, the light helps you see and the laser helps you aim. Awesome. Awesome. There's a lot of, there's just a laundry list of things there. Everybody can use it as a checklist to, to find something uh, that'll really work for them. Uh, listen, everybody, we've been talking with Rich Nance of wartech.com about low light shooting tips, tricks, and tactics. Of course, we have a lot more coming up, including I'm going to ask him questions about the biggest training mistakes that most shooters make when it comes to practicing for low light scenarios, key awareness and lifestyle hacks for staying safe in any light conditions, and some instant training tips to help you be better prepared today for a low light ambush attack. All that more is coming right up, but first, check out this special message. In the last two decades, over 7,000 American soldiers have lost their lives on the battlefield. Yet in that same time period, we've lost over 100,000 to veteran suicide. And hundreds of thousands more of our brave warriors and their families continue to suffer every single day from the mental scars of war, otherwise known as combat-related post-traumatic stress or combat PTSD. Enough is enough. We're doing something about it. Our 501c3 nonprofit, Operation Save Our Soldiers, is helping to change the lives of our brave men and women struggling with combat PTSD with our direct sponsorship of an exclusive warrior retreat and a revolutionary new therapy that's literally putting an end to their symptoms and suffering in as little as just one two-hour session without drugs or the old-school talk therapy pushed by the VA. The results are instant and permanent, but we need your help. Soldiers pay nothing for the solutions they receive at these warrior retreats, which means from time to time we have to ask for assistance to help sponsor their traveling attendance. With as little as just a $5 donation right now, you can help change the life of one of our brave soldiers and help them finally win the battle against combat PTSD once and for all. 100% of your tax-deductible donation goes straight to sponsoring a veteran's attendance, so you'll know your gift will directly impact their life and get them the help that they need. Many talk about supporting our troops. Today I'm asking you to do something about it. Please help sponsor a soldier today by going to www.operationsaveoursoldiers.org. All right, welcome back, everybody. We've been speaking with Rich Nance of wartac.com about low-light shooting tips, tricks, and tactics. And, of course, we have a lot more to get into, so let's jump back in our interview now. So, Rich, what would you say? Um, I mean, I always, I always find that when it comes to preparing um, with a firearm or even for anything in self-protection, like a lot of times the mistakes that you make, um, especially whether it's preparation or, or training, not just what happens during an attack, but 
it's the mistakes that can really kind of work against you more than the tactics that you try and that you're uh, you're trying to prepare for to begin with. So what would you say are maybe the top pitfalls or the mistakes to avoid when training and practicing for low light self-defense scenarios with the, with either the police officers or the civilians that you've trained? Yeah, one of the big things I think that people um, overlook is the importance of learning flashlight shooting techniques, flashlight searching techniques in the light. When you're learning these techniques, you want it to be a well-lit environment so that you can, in a very safe manner, practice these, master these uh, techniques before you try them out in a, in a low-light environment. Even something as relatively stress-free uh, stress as shooting at the range at a paper target. If you're not careful, for instance, one popular flashlight technique is called the Harry's technique. And I'll describe it briefly from a right-handed shooter's perspective. If you're holding your pistol in your right hand and you have your left hand underneath the pistol with the back of your hands together, that is the Harry's flashlight shooting technique uh, in a very condensed version. But if you can imagine that, if you put your arm out first, in other words, your left arm that's holding your flashlight, if you extend that first, and then you bring your gun up, your muzzle will cross in front of your offhand. That's something that you need to work out in a stress-free, well-lit environment. And Airsoft is a great way to train all this stuff. Um, but that's one of the things I would say is before you train at night with these techniques, train in a well-lit environment. Uh, another thing we want to talk about is don't be married to any one of these techniques. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of flashlight shooting techniques. I rely on about four, um, a couple hands together, a couple hands apart, and there's pros and cons to each of those. Um, but don't think that, for instance, the Harry's technique that I just described is going to work for you in every circumstance, because in close quarters, it certainly has its limitations because your arms are crossed. And if an assailant uh, is to knock down one of your arms, he's taking both of your arms out of the fight. Um, also, uh, as a matter of cornering, if you're a right-handed shooter, maneuvering around a left-handed corner, your light will precede your muzzle a little bit, which is just something to know. And the opposite is also true. So as a right-handed shooter using the Harry's technique, if you're clearing around a right-handed corner, uh, your muzzle is going to get around that corner before you're able to illuminate into that room. So um, it's good to have a few different techniques uh, that you're familiar with. Uh, one more thing that, that I see all the time with regard to what not to do is people illuminate when there's no need to illuminate. So that light works both ways. It helps you find the bad guy, but it also can help a bad guy to locate you. So my strong preference, and I know that this is, this is kind of, hotly contested these days. Some people think just use light all the time, but to me, uh, my preference is to be very judicious about the use of light. And again, there is a time when I would illuminate full brightness right at a suspect, but that's when I know where he's at and I'm trying to gain compliance from him. So I don't wanna walk around with my light all the time or just even use the light uh, when I don't need it. If it's a dark corner that you can't see, use your light. Otherwise, keep your light off. You know, when it comes to everyday carry, I've, I've told people this before, but I use my flashlight more than I use even my pocket knife. I mean, I, I, it's, it's amazing how many times I use it. And some of that's for, for preventative protection, we'll call it. Um, but also just, I mean, it is something that I, I really consider a self-protection tool. When it comes to uh, training or daily tactical living habits, if you will, um, 
what are some of the things and ways that people can use the flashlight as part of their daily routine that will help them either day or night when it comes to defending themselves in maybe even in any light conditions, but um, what are some of the things related to a flashlight that somebody can do for an overall self-protection kind of tactical living? That's a good question, Jeff. I think the most important thing obviously is to have a light with you. Uh, What's cool about uh, having a flashlight is I usually have two flashlights when I'm uh, traveling on a plane. And if you think about, I mean, everything I think of is from a combative perspective. Um, So if I think of a flashlight, like you just mentioned as a tool to illuminate, but also as a weapon, as, as a, I would say a, um, you know, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like an Uh, impact tool, like close quarters impact weapon of opportunity. But I would even go a step further and say that is a weapon that's it's, in its design, it serves as a weapon. It enables you to uh, strike with the force of your blow in that small metal bezel, and, and you can you know generate tremendous power that way. So you got to have light with you. The cool thing is about a light, you can have it anywhere. And if having you know a standard size flashlight is is not what you want, you can have a very small pin style light, which also could be effective for striking. But I want something robust. I don't want something that's that's some cheap plastic. I want something that I can hit somebody with and it's still going to light up after that. And I can still hit them again after that. If I want, I like the light to extend uh, beyond my hand a little bit for that very reason, but having a light with you is critical. Another thing, which is uh, important, whether or not you have a light is being able to read light. So if you're out and about, and this is a good practice to get into as a cop, we are more used to this than, than maybe, um, you know, your average citizen, but you need to pay attention to shadows, pay attention to lighting conditions. Are you backlit when you're approaching this person? Um, how can you move slightly so that you are now more in the shadow and less of a target, for instance? So these are things that you can consider and that's uh, analogous to uh, being aware of cover. You know, during the daylight, we talk about, you know, when you're in the grocery store, start thinking about what could I get behind if I needed to that could potentially stop incoming rounds and, and give me an opportunity to better my position and escape. So um, that's, uh, that's something to consider. And finally, um, a lot of people when it comes to flashlight usage, they downplay the tactical advantage that is gained through shining a bright light in your adversary's face. The tendency is for cops that I've trained to focus the beam like on an assailant's chest or on an adversary's chest because they want to be able to see the waist, which is the most common concealed carry location. They want to be able to see the hands and and such. You can still see those areas. You can determine whether or not this person is armed by shining your light in their eyes, but you have the added benefit of disrupting their vision. And, and, And that's, we, we do a drill, which I'll, I'll maybe talk about a little bit later, that really hits home how important it is to direct that beam into an adversary's eyes to disrupt their vision. Yeah. Yeah, you, you bring up something, actually, I hadn't really thought of this either, but uh, that, that just using the light um, as a part of like everyday type use. It just makes you aware of the effects of light. I think a lot of times we go into parking lots, we, we walk around everywhere. We walk in the dark, we walk in our driveway, we walk around our house in the dark and we just kind of take light as um, kind of either for granted, or we don't really give it the proper attention when it comes to a tactical standpoint. Um, 
you know, being in the military, I'm like, I'm very familiar with, I mean, we did everything in the dark, you know? So a lot of times that was when we were, we were fighting, it was in, in low light scenarios. And it's an interesting how, what you learn about light, not just from a tactical standpoint of like, where is the bad guy and, and what do I do in relation to that? But as you said, even understanding like where the shadows are, where can you get to that would have a more tactical advantage, whether it's cover, concealment, low light areas, things like that. So um, it's interesting that you bring it up because I almost see it as like a, it's, it's a daily, it's a, it's a way that people can, can train tactically, if you will, um, in non-tactical environments, and just by being more conscious of how light um, affects either the threats that they face, their um, uh, the basically like how vulnerable they are, or else how you can use it as well. So let's actually let, um, what is maybe a drill that somebody can use that will help them be better protected today? Like what's something that they can do right now for practicing for low light training when it comes to self protection, with or without live ammo. Sure. Uh, these days it's probably without because <laughs> they'd be a hard yeah. press to find it. You probably couldn't afford it. Right. We're all going through that. But yeah, airsoft's a great way to train. One of the most important drills, and I know we're not getting very much into tactics, like specific tactics here, but one great way to train is to, and this can be done with airsoft or at the range. You have a handheld flashlight, you illuminate the target, then you either challenge the target, drop the weapon, whatever verbal challenge you want to offer, or you shoot, whichever is appropriate. Then you turn the light off and move. This is a tenant of low light shooting that's very simple, but it's very important. We don't want to leave that light on the whole time because like I said, then if that suspect who you just shot at or gave a verbal command to draws a weapon and shoots at you, if your light's on, he knows right where you're at. If it's dark, and after you illuminate and shoot or give verbal commands, you move, then he's probably going to shoot where you were instead of where you are. So it's a very simple drill. The idea of um, illuminating, either give a verbal challenge and or shoot, depending on the circumstance, and then light goes off and you move again. When you move, we're talking about moving laterally or moving uh, at an angle as opposed to moving straight forward or straight back. Because if you move straight forward or straight back, that's not it's not advantageous because you're still within the same line, the same line of attack, the same line that he saw you on. So that's a drill that we use at the police department. Another one that's really good is, um, and this one is safer to do with airsoft. We do this live fire, but there's a lot of safety um, uh, protocols in place. What I'll do is I'll have the shooter face downrange at a target. And again, we're talking about hours of darkness. We get it as dark as we can get it. I will then shine a, a bright light, a thousand lumens or so, at point blank in this shooter's eyes. Then I tell him to draw and shoot. I'm out of the way. Obviously everybody's out of the way. He draws and shoots and he's like, wow, I couldn't see anything. Then what we have him do to overcome that uh, kind of uh, temporary blindedness that I exposed him to, we'll do the same drill again. But this time before he shoots, I will have him illuminate the target. And that drill really has a couple key points. First, it, it shows them the effects of a bright light in their eyes and how difficult that is for them to function that way, to shoot accurately. And hopefully that will get them to realize, hey, that's what I need to do to my adversary so he's not shooting accurately back at me. And also it tells them if you do uh, lose your night vision, um, what you can do is compensate by that 
with a strong light of your own. So that's another drill that's, that's really cool. And, and finally, a last one. And again, all of these train with Airsoft or something until you really get the hang of it. But this is something that's often neglected too, is how do you fix a malfunction? How do you reload your pistol um, when you're holding a light? So, I mean, there's so many different options for this. There's lanyards, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, if you have a larger light, you may stick it underneath your non-dominant armpit, you know, to kind of keep your, uh, your light there. So it's handy, but you're not juggling it. And with some of the smaller lights, you can actually keep that light in your hand as you manipulate your pistol. So that's kind of the advantage of some of those, but none of that is going to come to you mid fight. You're going to have to be well-practiced at that to be able to overcome those uh, potential challenges that you may face uh, when you're in a low light shooting situation. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I asked for one drill. I got three. That's awesome. I like, I love it. Um, listen, everybody, we've been talking with Rich Nance from wartech.com. I'm going to do a personal plug here because I mean, I've, Rich has been with our network and we've changed names several times over the years, but he's been with us for forever now. And, um, one of the things, one of the reasons I became such a big fan of the war of, of his WarTech system and everything before was that is, is Rich's approach to everything. Basically it's been to wipe the slate clean of all tradition. Like he's been trained as a, he's a black belt in martial arts and, and he has, uh, self-defense DVDs that are out there. He's got uh, AR, home defense AR. He's got a lot of stuff out there, um, blade use, blade defense. And what I've liked most about Rich's training is that he said, okay, I know what we've all been taught, but let's actually pressure test that and see if it actually works. And when it doesn't, like how will it, what can we do to make it work? And it's a very practical approach that is interwoven into all of the training that he's done. So um, I can't recommend his training enough. Uh, definitely go over and check it out over at his website, um, which is a, is constantly evolving. I know he's got his training in so many different areas and that, that website's constantly evolving, but it's over at wartac.com. That's W-A-R-T-A-C.com. And until our next Warrior Life broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.